Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. This is episode number 79 and I'm your host Jonathan Miley. Recently we were able to sit down with Ryan Casey, one of the artists on a new game, Pandora Purge of Pride. Uh, now currently Pandora is on Kickstarter so you can back that. Uh, it's the project of a former student team of Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, so, really interesting talk, uh, it's a first person puzzle game, uh, but we'll explain all that kind of stuff, so just wanted to give Ryan another thanks for letting us talk to him about it. Joining us today is Jeremy Meyer, along with myself and Ryan. Uh, also just wanted to let you know that our Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon contest is still going on, so, if you want to email us at podcast at darkstation.com, you can do that, ask us a question, and we will read it on air, and, uh you could win a copy of the game. So, all kinds of awesome stuff happening at Dark Station. As always, you can find out more information at darkstation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com. And uh, any information that you want to find out further about Pandora, there will be links to their Kickstarter uh, and their webpage uh, in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed this episode. On with the show. So, hey, Ryan, just wanted to thank you for uh, coming on to the Darkcast with us to talk about your new game, Pandora Purge of Pride. How are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Just got home from work a little while ago, so that's mm. that's good. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, I've been relaxing a little while there. Difference on coast there. Yeah, yeah. That is uh, a little different. Mm-hmm. What, you were going to say something, Jeremy? Uh, I was just saying I had a few hours between work, so I spent that time cleaning my car. So real exciting over here. Oh yeah, it's always that's, a good thing though. You got to have a nice clean car. You can't oh, drive yeah. around. Got the vacuum out and whatnot. everything. Oh wow, yeah. that's man. I haven't vacuumed my car and <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> as long as the uh, the driver and the passenger seat are clear, I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that that was the first step. The vacuum came much later. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, John, first off, can you tell us a little bit about your game, Pandora Purge of Pride? What What is this game? So Pandora Purge of Pride is a uh, first-person puzzle game in which you play as Pandora. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on the Seven Deadly Sins and the story of Pandora's Box. Okay. Uh, and the basic idea is, uh, as Pandora, you're in Victorian England. The, uh, the box of myth has been brought back by your, uh, your husband, who is this great British explorer, very popular at the time, you know. Um, and you open up the box, the seven deadly sins escape, and set up all these crazy puzzles for you to solve. Um, and you have to use, uh, you know, some sort of lateral thinking there to get your way through these puzzles, uh, try and figure them out, and uh, try and recapture the sins. Awesome. Sounds very intriguing. Um, the sins were so devious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And sentient at that. Uh, <laughs> they are out to get you. So, um, your studio, High Class Kitsch, uh, is pretty new. Uh, who are you guys? How did you guys get started? All kinds of 
Like, wh- who are who is High Class Kick? I guess who is High Class with. Kick? Uh, High Class Kick is four people. Um, in fact, we are brand new. Uh, we are a group of students who just graduated from WPI, Worcester Polytechnic Institute, out here in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, we all studied game development. We're uh, we all graduated in the same class just uh, at the end of April there, and basically, what happened was our little formation story, if you will, was um, two of our team members, Jill and Mike, uh, the lead artist and uh, I'd say the lead coder, perhaps, um, they had worked together since high school. They've worked together on a million different projects, um, and they know how they work. And then myself and our other coder, uh, Alex, we have worked together on various projects through college here, and we know how we worked. Mm -hmm. So as we were going into our senior year, we had to figure out our senior project. Um, and the first place we wanted to start was forming a team. Um, I approached Jill, um, and our two little pairs came together to make a four-person team. Um, and basically, we figured we were some of the best people in the major. Really wanted to hit it out of the park with our uh, our first real game, even if it was a student game at that point. Um, but it turns out we did so well. People really liked our stuff. Um, be it at PAX East or whatnot, that we uh, decided to take Pandora to a commercial release and uh, form a studio around this. Awesome. That's yeah. that's really cool. So uh, Pandora started as your, I'm assuming, final project? Uh, yep. Or Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a different sort of setup. The whole school is set up around these sort of project-based curriculum, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, one year you do uh, a sufficiency in the humanities, um, the next year you do an interdisciplinary project, and then your senior year you do a focus project on your particular major. In the game design major, that usually entails just creating a video game. Um, okay. So we, uh, we wanted to kind of make the best game to ever come out of WPI. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you said that you were at PAX East? Yes, we were. Uh, we were there at the WPI booth. Okay. Um, so that was absolutely amazing. Um, I love PAX East anyways because you get to see all these awesome new games and especially um, the indie game presence there with uh, the indie mega booth and whatnot. Absolutely crazy stuff that you get to see. Um, so that audience was really, really receptive to Pandora. We had a couple hundred people come by our booth, just this rinky little booth off to the side there, hidden behind everything else. Uh, and they played it. They loved it. Um, I even had people asking me, like, hey, can I, where can I buy this? And I'm like, it's not out yet. Not out yet. You got to <laughs> wait a little bit longer there, but it'll be better, I promise. Well, that's, uh, that's really cool that you got that kind of reception there, especially with, you know, PAX East is by no means, you know, as large as something like E3, but it's still pretty crowded in terms of especially the indie scene, so that's oh, yeah. really awesome. Yeah, yeah a lot I of think stuff it's, to see there. So. <laughs> I think it's probably the biggest thing out on the East Coast. I mean, you guys are obviously out west, but have you uh, have you ever been out to PAX East? Um, well, not all of us are actually on the East Coast. Um, actually, only a couple of us are on the East Coast. Jeremy, oh, okay. uh, where do you where do you live? I Indiana. Am, I'm actually in the Chicago area. Chicago, yeah. Oh, so um, you're stuck right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and where then nothing goes. <laughs> so we get Chicago yes. Comic Con, but there's nothing there really. Um, but yeah, then Joel, the um, uh, contact that you talked with earlier, he's our uh, editor in chief and owner of Dark Station. He lives in California as well as some other. 
uh, of our riders do so. And we've even got some in the UK, uh, so we're actually kind of spread all over the place. One of the nice things about not being tied to a central office. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you get to hit a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. We're hoping to get every nationality. Oh, that would be a that would be kind of cool. That would get a nice, diverse sort of feel to it. I like that. I I don't know if that was one of our goals before, but it is now. <laughs> <laughs> putting the word Stick out. To it. <laughs> We're just trying to collect every accent we can get. Hmm. Yes, accents are absolutely fun. <laughs> um. So, uh, bringing back to Pandora. So, um. Sure. This game's uh, running on the Unity engine, which is something we've seen quite often in indie games, especially nowadays. So, um. What what drew you to Unity? Like, did you work on it in the past or anything like that, or did you decide to use it for this game? So, um, between the four of us, we had all used it previously. Um, it's one of the pieces of software that is covered in the in the curriculum at our school. Um, but we were particularly drawn to Unity for this particular project because we wanted to make something that would allow us to execute on an idea. Uh, with the puzzles and with the sort of uh, the sort of narrative there that we were trying to go for, um, and basically Unity took care of all the core engine stuff. It just made that non-issue, um, and we could deal with making a great game instead. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've heard a, a lot of good things about Unity, so that's that's good. Yeah, we we definitely considered other stuff. Uh, we knew. We wanted to make it a 3D game. Uh, as soon as we came up with this puzzle idea, we wanted it to be 3D. Uh, but even then, we were considering UDK, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, Unity was our, our best choice. And especially since everyone had already experienced it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, so what have been some of the difficulties, like, you know, specifically with the engine? Um, so it's sort of... In, in the way that Unity takes care of uh, the sort of engine stuff, that's certainly convenient. Uh, but when you're doing a puzzle game that sort of, at least for a couple of the puzzles, relies on physics, uh, you have to sort of tweak their default physics engine a little bit to make it work the way you expect it to. Otherwise, it's a little too floaty. It's a bit like, uh, you know, when you're playing Halo, everything's like way too floaty. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little bit on that end of things, and we wanted it to be a little more close to the way things actually act. Hmm. Um, especially when uh, one of our puzzles, especially, uh, you're you're trying to make a chandelier drop on this uh, crate to throw these um, these objects at a wall and bust it open so you can get into the next area. And that's that's very particular physics balancing there, and uh, we had to make sure that would work. Yeah, so I guess on the flip side of this, like working with the engine, what's been your most triumphant moment with the game so far? Um, in the in development or in showing it off or what? Uh, either just okay. in the whole uh, process of the game. Uh, I think the coolest thing, actually, like for me personally, uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone on the team would have slightly different answers, but for me personally, being you know the guy who really wants to push this out there to, to gamers and get this out in front of people uh, was during PAX East when we had um, this family come up and play our game. They were really enjoying it. Um, it was this this dad, mom, and their 11-year-old son. Um, 
and that's important to us first off because we really want to make games that are accessible to everyone, um, not just to like the core demo, uh, core gamer demographic, but to everyone. Um, so the three of them were playing through sort of collaboratively, um, and the son. He was uh, absolutely loving the fact that, you know, you could see the character modeling game. You could see shadows. It made it, you know, he said it made it easier to jump around on the jumping puzzles, helped you aim. Um, the dad and the mom were, like, helping him out with the actual logic of the puzzles. It was a really, it was like the ideal play experience uh, to sort of see that happening there on the show floor. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine like working on something like this just to take it somewhere and get that kind of gratification. Mm. Yeah, there were there were certainly the uh, the the pre- people every once in a while that were like, I don't quite get these puzzles, and we're like, don't worry, it's still wow, what a second. <laughs> but um, uh, the uh, there were the few people who were like, I don't quite get it. And we're like, you know, give us some time. We still got some time to pol- polish this up, but. The vast majority of people love the puzzles, you know, really found their way through them and enjoyed them. Awesome. That, that is really good to hear. Um, on more the uh, kind of premise of Pandora, it's, it's very different from basically anything else that we've kind of seen lately with the seven deadly sins being sentient uh, and setting up these traps and puzzles for you and stuff like that. What inspired you to base a game on that? Uh, so the initial meeting that we had, it was a really fun meeting because this was after we had formed up our team, uh, we had to figure out what we were going to make and we sat down and the first thing the four of us said to each other was, okay, what do we not want to make? Uh, what do we want to avoid? Um, and we basically checked off immediately. We were, we were like, okay, we don't need a shooter. Um, we don't need zombies. We don't need pirates. We don't need ninjas, uh, all the sort of stereotypical stuff, the stuff that's been done to death. Sure. Um, and then we were like, okay, what's left? What's interesting to draw from? Um, and one of the first things that came up was Greek myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of great stories there. The one that we were immediately drawn to was the story of Pandora. Um, we wanted to have an interesting twist on that with making Pandora sort of the hero. Sure, you know, she opens the box, but she's also the one to solve the problem, to figure it out. Um, we also felt that, you know, that was sort of important to have that female hero. Um, and then on top of that, we had to figure out a structure for it because the story of Pandora's box is more fable than anything really. So we kept looking at other myths. We were sort of on that myth track. Um, and the seven deadly sins provided a very good structure. Uh, the number seven, you know, you see all the time in video games. You see seven levels in Mario, seven worlds, all that sort of stuff. So it's um, it's a very good number, a round number, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we used that as our structure, Pandora as our inspiration. Okay, um, so how do each of the sins uh, relate to the, the game itself? Uh, you said that they, you know, they're the ones that are setting up these uh, puzzles that you have to go through. How how do you go about solving them? How does the, the gameplay work? Stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Like, um, the, uh, the puzzles have to be related to the sins. Mm-hmm. And then as you solve the puzzles, the powers that you get to so- solve further puzzles have to be based on the sins as well. So um, 
we we figured out like okay it's pretty obvious that the sloth puzzle is going to have some sort of time mechanic to it the um the the wrath puzzle that one might be a little more abstract right Mm -hmm. um there's not something quite so apparent so um what we did for something like wrath was we set it in the basement the wine cellar it's Mm -hmm. closer to you know the depths it's uh, wine, wine red, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, very associated with anger, possibly. Um, and then once you solve each of these puzzles, you get a different power. Um, and just to sort of run through those real quick, we've got greed, which uh, pulls things towards you. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrath pushes things away from you. Gluttony makes more of an object. Uh, it makes a glut of them, if you will. Um, lust attracts two of them two objects that you use it on together. Um, Envy draws your character, Pandora, towards an object in the world. Okay. Uh, sort of a traversal uh, power. And then uh, Sloth slows the object that you use it on down, so it floats, uh, it stays in the air. Um, the last of them being Pride, of course. Uh, pride is not one that gives you a power, but is in fact the end of the game. It's the root of the evils, we figured. Um, as I mentioned before, Pandora's husband, Bruce, uh, he's the one who found the, the pot in the first place, the uh, Pandora's box, if you will, mm-hmm. um, in the first place. So we figured pride has sort of consumed him, and that becomes the final puzzle, the final encounter in in Pandora, and that's, uh, that's a very fun little experience where you're actually working against pride, to sort of break it down. Very interesting. Oh, cool. That all sounds really cool. Like, I, I love the idea of the sins relating to powers, and mm-hmm. it sounds like you found a good way to relate all of them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was that was um, definitely a benefit. Uh, we, we took out a lot of time purely for design. We, we sat down, we really thought about how are we going to implement every part of this. Uh, before we even touched any art assets, any coding, anything like that. So how long did you just sit in a room of silence before somebody finally just said, greed pulls things towards you? <laughs> uh, we <laughs> we um, sort of did like this collaborative thing, just very early brainstorming before um, the school year even started over the summer. Mm. And then during uh, the school year, we basically took September um, and a, about a week of October to sort of formalize all of our ideas, uh, get it all down on paper, get some concept sketches down for me and Jill for the artists, um, get the rough idea of how we might code it for Alex and Mike, um, and basically formalize everything into a really solid game design document. And that allowed us from the rest of uh, the rest of October onward till now uh, to always reference back to that original document to make sure that we're sticking to what we originally intended um, and making sure that what we originally intended actually works in reality. Uh, it's sort of a constant back and forth comparison. Very cool. Um, so does it work at once you capture a sin, then you or you know, put the sin back in Pandora's box, you get that power? Or... Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so you've, you've got basically seven levels, uh, mm-hmm. six, the first six being the first six powers that, uh, first sins that you get powers for. Mm-hmm. And then the seventh, the last being pride. 
Gotcha. Cool. So, I've got to ask, what what is it like developing a puzzle game? Because, it's, I, I don't know, I, I can't figure out if it would be easier to make a puzzle game where you build the puzzles because you have this one thing to solve it, or mm-hmm. yeah. um, like, if I feel you like the whole build idea the power to solve the puzzle that you've then made, if that makes sense. Right. So if, if you have the solution in mind first, and then you build the puzzle to be able to have something interesting to use that solution with, or if you have an interesting puzzle, and then you have to figure out how to solve that puzzle by making your own power. Like how to incorporate the power into the puzzle. Right, exactly. Um, we we took a approach more along the lines of we know how we want each of the sins to be represented as a puzzle, mm-hmm. um, and then we need to find a way to make that solvable. Um, and that was certainly an interesting route. Um, it, it worked pretty well. Uh, there was a couple puzzles that we had to tweak uh, once we got it out in front of testers, um, our friends and family, you know, that sort of stuff, and actually had real people try it that hadn't been working on it. <laughs> um, and then we we tweaked those puzzles, but uh, we sort of had that in mind the whole time that we might have to tweak them. We made it very easy um, on the back end there uh, for for our coders to just turn some knobs and adjust things. Um, in fact, uh, one of the core parts of these puzzles is the fact that we have dynamic difficulty, where mm-hmm. if you're having a hard time on one puzzle, if it took you a long time, you had to reset a couple times. You took a lot of different moves, whatever the move might be for that puzzle. Um, if that's real high, the next puzzle is going to step back a little bit and make it mm-hmm. a little easier for you, be a little more forgiving. Um, but if in, you just blow in through... In what ways? Uh, it varies. It varies depending on the puzzle, but okay. uh, a really concrete example is the lust puzzle is sort of based on mahjong, um, where you're matching two uh, two blocks at a time that are similar to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're pulling them out. You're pulling them together. You're attracting these blocks to each other, sort of uh, emulating lust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you are doing really well through the game up to that point, then there's going to be more blocks and they're going to be in a slightly harder configuration, okay. uh, blocking off the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've been having a really hard time, then there's going to be many fewer blocks um, and they'll only slightly obstruct the door, so you might not even have to bust all of them out. You might just even have to get a little pathway mm-hmm. uh, through, just enough for you to fit through. Gotcha. Um, and also, I've got to ask, what is it? What is it like when you're trying to uh, play test your own game that you obviously know all the ins and outs of? I, how do you come to it trying to have a fresh mind and not play it because you know how everything goes? Uh, that's it's real tough as one of the designers to actually sit down and play it and recognize problems. We can mm-hmm. certainly recognize glitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that sort of stuff that we know how it's supposed to operate and then it doesn't operate that way. Um, but when it comes to the puzzles, when it comes to sort of how things flow, the story, like if if we're conveying enough plot at this point and that point, we really need to get it out to people who haven't had their hands on it, who haven't been this close. Um, it's 
it's a much more effective way of testing rather than trying to force yourself to step back, mm-hmm. get people who are already a little bit, you know, abstracted from it, that they can sort of just come at it with a clear mind, give you some really raw feedback. Um, and they might not even know how to phrase it to, to be directly useful to you, but you know what that relates to, what their trouble might be, how that relates to the code, to the art, to the story. Um, and you know how to fix that, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you have like kind of set people you know outside of your company, like as testers that you bring it to, or do you just like take it to you know like things like PAX and stuff like that? So the the events like PAX and um, other events that we've been to, like Made in Mass and uh, the Mass Digi Game Challenge, are all absolutely great resources. But um, the best testing that we got was to. Um, actually take advantage of the fact that we're still on a college campus. Um, we emailed out to the entirety of the game design major, the entire undergrad population, um, and to a couple of the professors who weren't directly uh, um, directly acquainted with our game. And we sent the game out to them, let them try it, um, see what they thought, uh, had them fill out a really in-depth survey uh, documenting, like, how effective each part was, what particular facts they might have gleaned um, uh, throughout the story. That's a really effective way to tell if your story is conveying what you want it to, is to ask direct questions. Um, And then we also had a few smaller testing sessions where we would sit down, just one of us four, sit down with perhaps one of our friends, uh, you know, one of our colleagues, one of our uh, fraternity or sorority members or whatnot, right? Sit down one-on-one and just watch that person play and take notes silently. Um, that would that would be um, completely just raw observation. Uh, it's great stuff to, to work off of as well because then you even see, like, little facial twitches and, like, little um, little annoyances or little smiles or that sort of stuff. Um, which really indicate a lot of stuff as well. Cool. That, yeah, being on a college campus, I can see just, I mean, around people who are into this. Your, like, does that happen a lot? Was it like a lot of people sending out messages for their games as well? Um, there were, there was one other game in particular. This uh, from our from our class that did that. Um, we uh, along with that other game. Uh, we were the ones that were really sort of pushing ourselves publicly. Um, not everyone going through this program really has these intentions of taking a game beyond being simply a student project. In fact, we are the first uh, first team to directly take our game to a commercial thing uh, and to form a studio out of it. Uh, we are the first software company in Worcester, Massachusetts, for all I know, um, uh, from what I've, what I've talked to the city with, actually. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. It's <laughs> really awesome. Thank you. It's because everyone goes east. Everyone goes to uh, Cambridge and Boston. We want to stay right here. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, so what is it like developing a puzzle game? I mean, I to me it sounds like the most stressful kind of game development on the planet <laughs> because the idea of a puzzle is to be challenging, and if I could sit there and complete it because I've been working on it, I would just never feel like it's challenging enough. <laughs> 
So is yeah. it hard to think of the puzzles, or like, do you look somewhere else to get your ideas? Um, I know I personally have played millions like of these little puzzles. Uh, I just I'm a complete trivia head. I'm a puzzle guy. I I just love burning through logic. Um, so I had you know I could point to like mahjong and like this we didn't actually use tower of hanoi but i could point to tower of hanoi and all these classic puzzles as inspiration for the puzzles that we used in game Mm -hmm. um and then uh jill she's a big adventure gamer so she really deals with the uh with you know how to set this sort of narrative this exploration through a place so she really loved designing that sort of stuff and then mike and tc are both really really big into um these sort of uh, puzzle adventure, more more modern adventure games, not like Myst, but more like, um, say, uh, Uncharted or something like that. Um, and they really helped sort of craft making it fun and exciting. Um, but ultimately, it is hard. It is hard to design puzzle <laughs> games. I won't. I won't uh, lie to you there. But it's worth it because they're the kinds of games that a lot of people can enjoy you don't have to be fast paced and you don't have to be interested in a specific sort of setting or genre uh, to really be drawn to it you just have to have a willingness to think and I think a lot of gamers do that yeah I mean the good thing about puzzle games is it could be as abstract as you possibly want it to be yeah I mean look at Cube or something like that Mm mm-hmm completely abstracted completely or crazy anti-chamber or, oh yeah anti-chamber is crazy that blew my <laughs> mind i could not i could not get through that for the longest time i still can't get through it so you're doing better than me congratulations <laughs> <laughs> um so, so one thing i noticed in uh, pandora was that it doesn't really have a tutorial and instead pandora herself seems to muse or comment about her surrounding and was it your intention to make a tutorialist game, or is that just kind of how it came about? Um, it wasn't supposed to be entirely tutorialless. Uh, we wanted rather to in- integrate the tutorial into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted it to be a natural part of the gameplay, rather than having prompts and um, you know explicit like press A to do this sort of text um, popping up that would really sort of distract you. Um, since we're not really aiming for your typical gamer, mm-hmm. um, we're not, A, assuming that you know how to t- play these games to begin with, um, and B, we're also assuming that you prefer a complete experience rather than expecting, oh, this prompt is going to come up, that's just a part of games, that's just how it is. Um, we don't expect people to to think that way. We want people to see it as a whole thing, a whole experience uninterrupted. Uh, so, so Pandora's, you know, her thoughts and internal monologue there, that certainly helps. It also allows us to advance the narrative, Mm -hmm. uh, while humanizing it a little bit. Being a first person game is kind of sometimes disconnected. We wanted to bring it back. That's why we had the character modeling game. That's why we had mirrors so that you could always get a glimpse of yourself um, and that's why we had the uh, narration. But then we also have um, the scrolls and the paintings on the walls mm-hmm. that have little pieces of instruction here and there that would provide you with the more concrete details of how to deal with your situation. 
but also still stay in the game world. See, I, I love the idea personally of not having tutorials because I I'm the most impatient gamer in the world. So I, <laughs> I hate people telling me how to play a game. I'm just like, just give me the controller and I'll figure it out. Oh man, um, I don't know if you've played uh, Far Cry Three Blood Dragon. Uh, yet, but... oh, yes. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I I reviewed it actually. Oh, that had. I, I know that, that was, they, they acknowledge that it's the worst tutorial in the world, but then they the, give yeah. it to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely infuriating. <laughs> oh, so good though. <laughs> I love that game. It well, yeah. it was good like halfway through it, but then when it continues to prompt you with stuff, like after you're able to move, like the first couple times yeah. you say, it's okay. But by the when you get to the end and you just have to mash A for like five minutes. Yeah, and it's it's like it's oh, brought to you man. by this robotics company. Oh. If you really want to get rid of these, buy the premium tutorial pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was probably my favorite tutorial ever. Yeah. That was that was really clever of them. I, I always love what Ubisoft Montreal can do. Uh, yeah, that, now I just want to go play Far Cry. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot some laser robots. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, back to your game over here. Uh, you uh, like very recently started a Kickstarter for Pandora, and um, uh, what were you guys like hoping to accomplish if you get funded? Like, what things can people expect from all that? So, since we're rather close to an actual release, we're releasing uh, June 11th um, okay. on Desura and a couple other platforms. What we're trying to treat the Kickstarter as is partially um, we're spending this month polishing. We're going to do that regardless. Um, but the Kickstarter is half pre-order system, half um, sort of a way for us to directly and quickly pay for software licenses that we're going to need, um, both for Pandora and for long-term making our next game and then next, next game. Um so we need to cover the cost of, like, a Unity license. We need to cover the cost of um, an Adobe uh, Creative uh, Creative Cloud suite uh, so that we can use that collaboratively. We need to cover the cost of ZBrush. And all uh, it's all on the art side. We're the expensive guys, I guess, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, we basically need to cover those software costs while also, you know, taking this time to polish um, and offering people a chance to get some, you know, copies of the game, certainly, but some sweet stuff, you know. Uh, we tried to make some creative little rewards here. Uh, my favorite, personally, is the 3D-printed model of Pandora. Um, I think that would be pretty cool to have. I might make one of those for myself, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, that's the best part, you know, it's be able to do whatever you want for yourself get the ultra limited edition oh yeah no the uh the five thousand dollar one right there where i'll i'll fly you out to boston and i'll treat you to dinner i can do that for myself <laughs> uh, why boston since you guys aren't in or wait never mind you are in boston we're very close to boston worcester yeah. technically has an airport but okay. it's not exactly serviced by any airlines <laughs> doesn't make it very uh, so that, that's the closest you can get anyone to you <laughs> exactly. and you can just drive to so Boston right. 
<laughs> it, Boston's a little more fun than Worcester, anyways. All right. Um, so, is, are there any other things that uh, backers from Kickstarter can expect on Pandora for like the different dollar amounts that they can support? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, we've got we've got everything from like back down at ten dollars, you get the game uh, just straight up, and to make it a little better, we'll give you a a nice wallpaper. I've actually got the wallpaper on my desktop right now. Um, it's really beautiful. It's one of our uh, slides from the very beginning of the game where the pot is exploding, all the sins are escaping, and it's very, very beautiful painting by Jill. Um, and then we've got the soundtrack. You get that, you know, added in for $15. You At $30, you can either get a poster and a pin, or you get a flash drive that's actually branded with the Pandora logo. Nice, you know, vibrant purple, pride purple, you know, sort of color with a physical copy of the game, you know. We figured it would be fun to throw in a, a physical copy of the game in this in this sort of thing where everything's all digital. Um, I, I think that's a really cool idea, actually, for something digital, you know, since there is no physical copy, you like a flash drive. Yep. Uh, and then the benefit of that is it's portable. It's DRM-free. So if you really want, you can just dump off the game onto your computer and use the flash drive for everyday use. You have your own little uh, Pandora flash drive to use. <laughs> Uh, and then we throw in a, a couple other ones. The uh, the one that I think is really cool um, that I can't personally get because it's not a physical thing is um, our Patron of the Arts reward at three hundred dollars. Is Jill will actually sit down and devote you know several hours to making a portrait of you to put in our game to put in one of the uh, frames in the game that are all scratched up and whatnot. Replace one of those scratched up ones with a person. Oh, wow. That is yep. really cool. That is really yeah, cool. You've, you've uh, seen the paintings of Pandora and Bruce, uh, her husband Bruce in game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pandora, we use her painting on everything for our promotional stuff. You know? uh, those are both hand-painted by Jill. So she would make a painting that quality, that style of you. Huh. That is that is that's something I think we've seen a lot of lately is uh these opportunities to get yourself in games and I think that's mm-hmm. a cool trend. Yeah. Yep. Gamers want to be involved in games. They want to, you know, even if you're not a game developer, people want to be involved in gaming. Yeah. yeah and if nothing else, then you can be, you know, immortalized on a, a painting in a <laughs> yep. virtual world. Mm-hmm. So, that is really cool. Uh, so. Um, Looking at your Kickstarter page, uh, it mentions uh, passing green lights um, on Steam. Uh, uh, are yes. you guys currently working on that? Because I've I've actually looked a couple of times and I haven't been able to find Pandora on green lights. We're not on there just yet. I'm okay. going to uh, put up the green light uh, page at the end of the Kickstarter campaign. So once okay. things are sort of wrapping up on Kickstarter. Uh, I'll push that out in an update to the Kickstarter so that everyone who's backed us already can go and uh, uh, give us a thumbs up on Greenlight. Okay. I'll, you know, I'll definitely call it out you know, through my normal yelling at social media and whatnot that I love to do. Um, <laughs> and uh, then the, the general idea, though, is we're certainly going to pursue Greenlight. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to try and circumvent Greenlight as much as possible. Sure. Uh, 
it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, obviously. yeah. There's a I've, lot of stuff on Greenlight. Yeah, we've uh, we've had the opportunity to talk to several uh, independent developers that are you know trying to get onto Greenlight as of right now, and it's basically just a giant circus slash popularity contest. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So um, what we're going to try and do is find a way around it as mm-hmm. much as possible. And there's a couple good avenues for us in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already submitted to Intel's Level Up contest. Okay. Um, and that's a really cool indie game development contest that's going to be uh, going on this summer. And then the other one, of course, is the Independent Games Festival. Sure. Um, oh, the submissions open for that sometime this summer. Okay. Um, and even, you know, even if we only do this as a quote student thing uh there are certainly categories for that there's there's room for people to do that but we're aiming to do that as an actual independent studio uh that's the point of starting this studio in the first place we want to do this as our jobs yeah um so to circumvent green light you'll also have to find a way for other for people to get your game otherwise, um, what kind of services are you looking to uh, use? Obviously, Desura is a, a yep. pretty big uh, avenue for independent developers. Uh, anything else that you're looking at? So we've already made deals with uh, Desura to mm-hmm. distribute with them. We will be up there on June 11th. Awesome. Uh, the other two uh, stores that I am currently making uh, making deals with are the Humble Indie Store, Mm-hmm. Um, of course, known for the humble indie bundles, they also sell just individual indie games. Um, they're trying to start that up a little bit more, um, and also um, Green Man Gaming has been working with us. They're awesome folks as well. Yes, and they, they are. want to. Uh, they want to help us out, get us uh, up on their store. Um, I'm also waiting on a response from uh, Gamersgate. So okay, Gamersgate, get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Green Man Gaming is amazing. It's basically how I've bought every new PC game that I've gotten in the past year. Yeah, uh, with their amazing twenty five percent off coupons. <laughs> they, have, they have great deals. Yeah, and I am more than happy to put Pandora up on there. Um, I, you know, the way I see it, I want to get out to as many gamers as possible. And if you happen to prefer Green Man Gaming or Desura or whatnot, you should be able to find Pandora there. Sure, that's a good policy to have. Mm-hmm. Um, what about any other platforms? Are obviously the game isn't out yet, so this is a little further out in the future. Um, but do you have any hopes of maybe getting it onto Ouya or Xbox, PlayStation Network, anything like that? So, my personal dream is as soon as my Ouya arrives, um, to start porting it over to Ouya. Okay, um, and. We're going to try and get it out there on Ouya. The Ouya definitely has the power to run our game. Um, so we figure get out there right at the beginning and give Ouya gamers a good first-person puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Um, I figure that's sort of a genre that really hasn't been addressed yet. As far as I know, there's only the ball, um, and that's been out for a while on PC and consoles anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really want to get out there with that as quickly as possible. Um, and I, I've put in a request for, and this is a complete long shot, uh, for a Wii U development kit. But if we could get Pandora on the Wii U, we feel like that would really work. 
with that sort of uh, market with yeah because Wii U then gamers. the Wii U would have a game that would be great yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it would actually have something worth playing um, I got um, to play one for the first time recently. Oh really? I I still haven't even seen one in reality I've, yet. I I played so. the demo in a store of Mario, so I didn't really get anything out of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, Mario's fun, but Mario's Mario. It's it's yeah. expected. Um, so that's that's one thing. And then, as soon as we get, you know, maybe a little bit more clout uh, with you know either releasing Pandora. Hopefully to critical acclaim, of course. Um, and uh, otherwise, just through Kickstarter, through our various social media venues, um, we want to reach out to Sony and Microsoft, of course, trying to find a way to get Pandora onto the consoles. We've played this uh, in a very rough stage with controllers on our PCs. Mm-hmm. It definitely can work. Okay. Um, so we want to... We want to fully develop that, uh, given the opportunity. All right. Um, that sounds really awesome. Now, you said it once before, uh, but if you could go ahead and tell us again when uh, Pandora Purge of Pride will be out and where we can get it. Pandora Purge of Pride will be out on June 11th. Uh, it'll be on Desura. It'll be on uh, the Humble Indie Store and... Hopefully I can wrap it up with Green Man Gaming and have it out at the same time there, too. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan, for being on the show with us. Uh, Links to your Kickstarter page, uh, to your uh, website for High Class Kitsch, and Back in the Box, the website for uh, Pandora, will all be up in the show notes for this podcast, so people will have easy access to get to all of that. Uh, Once again, thank you very much for joining us, and I hope everything goes great for you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. No problem. It was great. Ooh.